0: A lot of people uh, over the years have proposed that some or all of Clematis Street become a pedestrian-only street, which I personally don't think we're anywhere near ready for. I don't think we have the density. I don't think we have the commerce that we need for that to be successful. But the beauty of the design that we have here now is that it is the best of both worlds. It can function as a shared street with automobiles and trolleys and delivery trucks and everything else. Uh, as well as pedestrians. But when uh, we close the street to motor vehicle traffic, it feels exactly like a pedestrian plaza.
1: Hi everyone, this is John Simmerman, founder of the Active Towns Initiative. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about the people, places, programs, and policies that help to promote a culture of activity within our communities. It's great to have you along for the ride. In this episode, I'm honored to be joined by Victor Dover with Dover Coal and Partners Town Planning of South Miami, a firm dedicated to revitalizing towns, building great new places, growing neighborhoods and fixing sprawl by design and Rafael Clemente, Executive Director of the West Palm Beach Downtown Development Authority, an independent special taxing district to promote and enhance a safe, vibrant downtown. We start off the conversation with an overview of the impacts and trends of the COVID-19 pandemic they are seeing in their cities and neighborhoods then we transition into a discussion of the major main street transformation process currently underway in west palm beach florida so without further ado let's get this episode rolling Raphael and victor thank you so much for uh, joining me on the active towns podcast a conversation about creating a culture of activity
0: pleasure to be here with you john and victor thanks for the invitation
1: john we're actually recording this on march 25th 2020 we're in the middle of uh, a bit of interesting times <laughs> with the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're looping you in from uh, two different locations in Florida, and we're so we're doing the ultimate in physical distancing. How do things look like on the ground uh, there in Florida? Raphael, why don't you start us off?
0: Well, John, I'm sitting in my office and looking out my window, which overlooks Clematis Street and Olive Avenue, arguably the most uh, heavily trafficked intersection in our downtown, and it's uh not quite 2 p.m. and there is nary a soul to be seen. Well, there's one person walking the dog, but otherwise, what is a bustling street scene is pretty much a ghost town right now.
1: Yeah, Victor, uh, and and you there in the South Florida area,
0: you no, know, the I'm actually at my
2: house in South Miami, so a few blocks away from the heart of our downtown, and it's we live on a quiet street generally but we have a lot of people coming back and forth because there's a park at the end of our street they're still doing that they're just doing it on foot and uh and pushing strollers and walking their dogs and so on so i think we we see there are more pedestrians actually than normal people aren't are just walking to the neighborhood park instead of um, you know driving around and doing all the things that people do during ordinary days so it's an it's an interesting thing i the, the most profound scene, I wish I had a photograph of it, is every once in a while, while uh, walking my dog or, or going for a quick run early by myself, I, I will encounter groups of neighbors who are talking. They're obviously talking through how they're dealing with you know, homeschooling their kids and working from home through, well, like we're doing right now. And But they're standing on opposite sides of the street, <laughs> keeping their physical distance. So you see pairs of uh, couples or, or neighbors 22 feet apart you know uh, on the edge of pavement on either side of their of their uh, quiet residential street having what looks like and sounds like a normal community conversation about day-to-day life but with 22 feet between them it's it's, uh, it's quite surreal but there's no question they see more i'm seeing more pedestrians and fewer cars
1: yeah, it's and that's definitely what we're seeing here in our residential area of Austin is a constant flow of individuals, of couples, of entire families walking, biking, strolling, <laughs> rolling <laughs> through the area and 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 I don't know, uh, Rafael, in, in sort of the residential areas, are you noticing that sort of uptick? It sounds like there's less traffic, less foot traffic, less people rolling through the downtown area right there on Clemata Street, which we'll talk a little bit about the Clemata Street uh, transformation in a little bit. Uh, what are you seeing in the residential areas? Are you seeing an uptick in people on the streets? Like Victor in my
0: neighborhood, uh, and we're a close in close to downtown neighborhood, Flamingo Park. And um, I have seen on any day, weekends or weekdays, um, what seems like an increase in pedestrian traffic. Obviously, people are staying home and staying away from other places where they might otherwise go. So they're right in their own neighborhoods. And, yeah, we're we're, uh, frankly meeting new people uh, throughout the day. Yesterday, we were in our front yard. My, My family and I, my daughters, God bless them, they were trying to teach me how to hula hoop. <laughs> and these uh, are
2: important skills.
0: They are important skills, especially right now, right? So uh, uh, folks walking uh, past us on the sidewalk stopped and chatted with us for a few minutes. People we've seen in the neighborhood but never otherwise met. So yeah, in the, in my immediate residential area, I, I'm seeing what seems like an increase in activity. But downtown, I, I was here, I've been here since about eight o'clock this morning in my office. And then um, I drove through last night just to take a look at what was going on, and uh, it was it was shocking, really, to see how dramatic the difference in activity is between two weeks ago and now. Shocking.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Rafael, because uh, I, of course, was on the ground there on Clemata Street two weeks ago, and it was the early stages of the COVID-19 situation. And it was a very, very busy environment. Uh, there was lots and lots of folks about, and the businesses were, were you know, just energetic and, and happening. Victor, do you have a sense as to near where your office is? Because I know your office is, is right in a downtown area. Is that also dead? Very
2: quiet. Uh, downtown South Miami on Sunset Drive, where our office is located, there are just a few people here and there. I went to the office yesterday to pick up some equipment I needed for continuing to work from home. We're essentially closed. You have one person going in every once in a while to get the mail and deposit checks. Keep your fingers crossed open. Those keep coming in. But, the, but other than that, we're all working from home. And it's very clear that people, at least in South Miami, are largely respecting. The order to stay home and to uh, keep all the non essential businesses closed. So I see a few people going in and out of the grocery store, which is a block off our main street. Even those are few in number. And then, uh, Sunset Drive is just empty, like, like Clematis, uh, saw in the news yesterday, Clematis Street completely empty. It's like the, our small town versions of those pictures of the, the yeah. plaza in front of the Louvre uh, or the Pyramids in Egypt, or or what have you, with, or Times Square with empty chairs and the people. Uh, where I think it's people are respecting the order. It, it, it's it's the contrast with, between that and the pictures of spring break that made the national news, at least around here. And and, and Miami Beach beaches have been closed for quite a while, so we we weren't the ones on the national news. It was the it was the folks uh, further north. But the um, and even some of those beaches are finally closed. Put in South Miami and West Palm
1: Beach, people seem to be obeying the order. Right. One of the the reflections that I had when I starting to really notice the uptick in activity on the residential streets is it's kind of seemed like a Open Streets event, (laughs) you know, because a little bit of a strange Open Streets event in the sense that you know folks were keeping their distance, but Nonetheless, it, you know, an Open Streets event. And uh, do you get a sense that, you know, there could be something positive that that comes out of this in terms of being able to reimagine and changing the vision of what a street is for? Rafael, why don't you go ahead and, and jump in and then, Victor, your thoughts after that?
0: Um, well, I mean, we were just talking about this. We had a board meeting today, a t- teleconference board meeting. Um, with my board of directors who are all stakeholders here in the downtown. And, you know, the question was when we return to some normal scenario here, what will people's appetites be to uh, be all together in public spaces, to be sitting all together at cafe seating after what has been unquestionably a jarring experience in terms of how we, how we process this situation and how it's affected our everyday lives in in a way that none of us would ever have anticipated. So not not, not that I doubt at all that we will return to fully normal, you know, bustling, busy, urban uh, life. But I do wonder in that, in that return to normal phase, whatever that looks like, will people have an aversion? My my, My fear, my concern as a, as one who, lives and 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 breathes this stuff um i do have a little bit of a concern that there will be a slow return to normal because of concerns about close contact with other people to
1: be honest all right victor give us the positive slant
2: (laughs) (laughs) well i've heard so many friends and neighbors and read so many comments from people who said wow there are a lot more pedestrians on the street i never knew there were so many pedestrians in my neighborhood so my observation about the people walking up and down my street or walking, you know, by the park because the park's closed you can't go in the park, that I think is being mirrored a lot of other places, especially in the, uh, you know, the quieter places, the tranquil streets or the or suburbia. And listen to, listen to that. Wow, I never knew there were so many pedestrians. Well, there is a, one positive potential spin, you asked for it, is that A whole group of people who have kind of forgotten about public space, including streets, have suddenly remembered. Uh, They're not driving around. Uh, They don't want to, they don't want to pump gas into their car because they heard that there's transmission on the gas pump handle. And and, um, they've been warned if they'll go to stores unless you really need something. They'll go to restaurants and bars. So what are they doing? They're walking up and down our street with their dog because they can only spend so many hours uh, inside the, the sealed environment of their air conditioned house. So they're going out, they're making relatively short trips, loops around the block, you know, um, waving at the neighbors from 22 feet apart. And I think it's, it might be reacquainting people with public space in a way that they weren't thinking about it before when they were dashing off to the mall, or, you know, getting in elevators to go up and down high rise office, hotels and other things. So we don't even think about it, but in the daily life, the change of scenery that we constantly get, isn't just from changing the channels, it's from going, you know, going to a restaurant or getting takeout from the sandwich place down the street or, you know, picking up something at the pharmacy or just, you know, greeting one another in the lobby as we go to our guests. And all of those have been taken away for a lot of people who are working at home or if they're working at all. And you can only just you know, do so much of it. We're all probably the three of us spending a lot of our days with these headsets on looking at our laptop cameras and trying to keep work going. Other people are just simply stalled, completely stalled while they can still have not While they still have a cable subscription, they're watching their Netflix account. You only do just so much of this before they need to start going back out. So A, I think the appetite has already grown just in two weeks for streets and public spaces. Uh, but for experiencing them on two feet in two weeks. And they, you know, it's observable now. A week ago, there were a lot fewer people. Um, now they're going out doing that. Second. If we remain cooped up in these uh, in these lockdowns and shelter-in-place orders and so on for a lot longer, I think when we finally get the all clear, it's okay to go back out. There's going to be such a pent-up demand to do so that people are going to uh, breathe a gigantic sigh of relief and go find a sidewalk cafe uh, or go get a cup of coffee from the coffee place instead of making it in the kitchen. It's just those old habits. And Raphael, I don't mean to be uh, Pollyanna about the fear that it might come back slowly or there might be some hesitation. About, you know, standing in line near somebody or sitting in a close cafe seat, but there is that positive. I think there's also, I can detect just because we're, we're now running projects we used to do in person. We're running planning projects virtually. And I can already sense that when we can finally have public meetings again, there will be another side relief that people can go to the conference room and have a conversation instead of necessarily having to do it uh, online. And we will probably see. A lot of late adopters of these video conferencing tools and other things continue using them a lot more than they ever did before. But, um, but I also think that they're going to start to, you know, when suddenly the whole world is made of telecommuters, that is those who still have a job, and therein lies a lot of the crisis, but those who still have a job and can do it from home are going to breathe a big sigh of relief about being able to get back with the people in the, in the building where they really to interacting. They might telecommute more often, like, you know, more days of the week or more days of the month while still going into the office or seeing one another in person. Uh, so there's that positive. I think they're going to be ready when we have those meetings to, because of that pent up demand, be extra productive and want to build the world they want. Here's another urgency to it and positive of a kind, a motivator maybe. The economic, uh, crisis parallels the public health crisis, right? When we get that all clear, we've got economy, global economy, and local economy to rebuild. We basically have to rebuild the world, and we should basically be planning the same way we were before. What's the, what's the world we want to live in? What's the place we want to make? So I think our motivation to be productive in those meetings is going to go up, not down.
1: Gotcha. Well, and let's yeah, I'd like to-, to add. I'd like yeah, to add. go for it.
0: What I have noticed is that the public spaces that were rarely, if ever used, people are now finding those, or discovering these new little nooks and crannies, and, and sitting down and reading a book, having a picnic with their immediate group or family, the people that they're already living with, or you know um, in contact with all the time. Uh, I've seen that in my neighborhood, I've seen that in downtown. Um, the people that are still working, the few people that are still working, I've seen people sitting on the waterfront on the seawall, where I typically don't see people unless we've got a, a really packed event. But all these little nooks and crannies, people are are rediscovering them or some cases discovering them for the first time, that they can go there on their own or with a small group and have a peaceful, wonderful experience and not be clustered together like we all want to be. I mean, I I completely agree with you, Victor. When, when the all clear comes, I, we are all desperate to be back doing what humans love to do. And that's being together, being social.
2: Hey, Rafael, I have a specific question oh. about Clematis Street for you, though, since you're looking out the window at it.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: over the last couple of years, we've been making the sidewalks a lot wider, getting the street the right size, and, you yeah. know, rebuilding uh, the street streets. So, but the part of the motivation for doing that was that a couple of years ago, Clematis Street, with all the outdoor dining and people going back and forth and, um, you know, lampposts and sometimes trees and things like that, it was all too crowded. I and mean, There just wasn't really room to comfortably move as a pedestrian after so much space was taken up for cafe seating tables. And, and, you know, heaven forbid, two wheelchairs have to pass each other in the space that remained between the curb and the storefront once a lot of that space was taken up, whether for good things like cafe seating and flowers and what have you were just taken up, period. So we did all this effort we, you know, the city of West Palm Beach um, and its agencies spent a lot of money over the last couple of years to really upgrade that and get the sidewalk a lot wider. And it was like uh, easing of that situation. You know, now there was, there was more room for more cafe tables rather than fewer, but there was still more room to walk, and more room for planting trees. So that was a good thing, right? The, you know, at the time, many people observed that uh, part of the, the sense of, of confinement or congestion there for, on the sidewalk was that the restaurants were in the habit of jamming in every cafe seat they possibly could, you know, kind of overdoing it in a way. I mean, sometimes allowing them to encroach into, gradually get shifted into the walking space. And I know for for you and your fellow leaders in downtown is a constant issue of enforcement to go around and say, hey, got to make this wide enough for people to get through here. Well, now, if you're right, people want to sit a little further apart. I mean, a restaurant might do better to have a little more generosity and space between the backs of those cafe seats uh, than they used to. Instead of trying to jam in one more table or five more tables, maybe you can find with a nervous population wondering about, going back out in public as we ramp back up. It might be a good idea to loosen it up a little bit, have a few fewer tables and share some of those customers with your neighboring restaurants and bars
0: and and give people room to feel like that in the space to choose you. Yes, (laughs) we definitely saw an immediate activation of the new space. The added space when on the blocks of Clematis that were already completed with the design. And, and not just uh, not just use of the space, but even some new uses in the space, things that people weren't otherwise doing on Clematis. Uh, we saw legal or otherwise vendors showing up where we, they were never before. Buskers showing up on the street and really adding to the street life here um, from the from the dining and cafe seating perspective. Everybody that if you were a restaurant on a block that already was completed, the 102 or 300 blocks uh, of Clematis, there was almost a doubling down of the use of the space in front of your storefront. And I was, of course, I think we all anticipated this, but it was refreshing to hear it, was that the people, uh, some of the folks that were still adamant about maintaining parking, and not just restaurateurs, but even property owners and visitors to downtown, once they saw the new design in in effect, you know, gone live, <laughs> it was there was not an argument.
2: Well, now to be clear, we didn't eliminate really all the on street parking; we just reduced, we just reduced the number of spaces. But it was that sounded counterintuitive to people who thought that you know uh, the number of parking spaces you provide equals the amount of success you have. Turns out that's not good.
0: It was almost the opposite.
1: in this very brief pause in our conversation as we transition into some of the exciting details of the Clematis Street transformation and its impact. I want to take this opportunity to express my sincere appreciation to you for listening to this episode and to those of you who have contributed to the Active Towns initiative, whether as a one-time donation or as a monthly patron on our Patreon page. Thank you so very much. Now let's get back to the episode. Let's let's stick with uh, Clematis Street and talk a, a little bit about where we're at in the process. I know Phase One and Phase Two are done. Uh, we're gearing up to launch into Phase Three. What's the status on that?
0: Right now, John, the merchants that are on the segments of Clematis that are Phase Three, the four and five hundred. Year- four, 500 and 600 blocks. Well, there's only merchants on the, uh, well, there's one on the 600 block, but they are asking that it be done as soon as possible. Like now, while everything's shut down, uh, whether that's possible or not, or uh, that's yet to be seen. But, um, they all realize that once we come through this, as we said, you know, earlier on in the conversation, as we return to normal, they want to, they don't want to then be in the midst of a construction project. So, I think we here in downtown are, are very, very eager to see the project start and get well underway um, as soon as possible. The delay, uh, well, why didn't it start already? Well, we have a few very large festivals that take place well, that, that would have taken place. The Boat Show and Sunfest, which are not happening now, of course. So we have this, we have space and time uh, in which to work. And the hope is that we can activate the project right away and be done sooner than we ever, otherwise would have as we start to come through this uh, big disaster here.
2: Can I explain a little bit, uh, John, the the project to remake Tomato Street that we were talking about was done in phases and the first phase is just one block long, the 300 block, and that was a pilot phase done a couple of summers ago where work started after the last of the big festivals in the spring and before Halloween. And that was finished during the that period down kind of a compressed way. And lots of um, you know, nuts and bolts of, of what the street should be like were worked out for with that one. And, and uh, a lot of you know, measuring and observing done right when it opened to see how it was. How it was. And then subsequent blocks incorporated a lot of refinements, uh, some subtle and some uh, dramatic. And so then the second phase, the 200 and 100 blocks, it's actually three, three blocks, was done the next summer and fall, and uh, this third phase is 400 and 500 plus some rep, some uh, less substantial not full reconstruction improvements on the 600 block so it's three more blocks so the, these phases grew in size and complexity as we went the, the, at the beginning we didn't have a railroad track to work around or uh, for example more one-way segments of streets. it was the simplest place to start maybe a good um, also, uh, right in the middle, right in the heart of, of the pedestrian scene, outside Ralph Bell's office, it was a real confidence builder. The world is concerned about the big global slowdown. Here's an example of something that doesn't need to be slowed down; needs to be sped up. Consultants working on the engineering they need to go faster. The contractors can start. Construction sites are open; they can start now, uh, or as soon as the permits and things are all in hand. And so, uh, there are a few things in this dramatically slowed economy that can go faster than slow. Yeah.
0: And for a street like Clematis, which is increasingly edging toward a twenty-four hour a day Main Street, there's ne- you know there's never a good time to do a construction project from the merchant's perspective. But now, <laughs> if there ever was one, it's it's now.
1: Yeah, that's very well said. If there ever was a good time to have a major construction project on Clamatta Street, it would be right now. Uh, Victor, for the sake of the listeners, I'll, I'll be sure to include uh, in the show notes links so that they can get a visual on this. But can you give a description of what this transformation was all about? And then, Raphael, what I'll have you do after that is describe the impact that this change has had.
2: Mm-hmm. Fulmata Street is the main street, the historic centerpiece of the downtown. But by the 1950s, it had been widened and widened again and turned into a one-way street. And, you know, on street parking, pushed farther and farther and closer out to the edges, closer to the, to the buildings, historic and otherwise. And so it was really a car place. And in the early 1990s, they thought better of this for, as part of a downtown revitalization plan. It was very successful. And they redid it. So they they uh, brought it back down to two lanes one each direction. They, they um, widened the sidewalks. They, they redecorated. It was uh, a very effective project. And it was a key thing to the revitalization of a street that had been declined. Now, at the same time, they did a lot of good things, like make the sidewalks a, a little wider. They just didn't do that much of it. They did some widening, just not quite as much as you might wish. They added trees, but not very many of them. So the trees are mostly... Uh, in the middle of each block, the block crosswalk. So, uh, other parts of the blocks are getting too, too much sun, uh, too much of a good thing. Uh, that uh, sunshine we named our state after. On the north side of the block was, uh, or north side of each block was faking in the the south facing sun. So, those were problems. And so, even the street was a lot better, and there was a renaissance in downtown that came with that and other parts of the revitalization plan um this look back on it uh a few years ago and realized what this really wants to be is one of the great world streets it wants to be even better than that and so i meant going back and doing more of what they did a little bit in the first place making the lanes narrower and devoting less space to cars so the now it's a slower street and putting in more trees so there'd be shade uh, especially where you know the sidewalks and storefronts were in full glare and, uh, you know, shrinking the intersections to the extent possible and make uh, it as small as possible for pedestrians crossing. And so while we were at it, we dropped the curbs. We made a curbless street out of it. This was the suggestion of Louisa Hitching in, in our office. And I remember the conversation late one night. We we're looking over drawings. We we're rushing to get things together to compare alternatives. And we look, we were looking at the curbless street alternative. I turned to her and I said, you think they would go for that? Would they live with to do that? You know, they would. That'd be really cool. Because when you think about the great world streets, many of them are purpose. They're more like pedestrian spaces that cars are allowed to use and endorse, but not dominate. And that's what this has become. Um, now, to do everything I just described, we had to reduce the amount of on street parking and turn some of what would have been parking spaces into ride-hailing, pick-up, and drop-off zones or uh, loading zones or places for the bike-share bikes to... To be racked and, and So, this is, um, this just meant the percentage of people space in Comato Street went way up and the percentage of car movement and storage space went down. Uh, and there's been a little adjustment. People that were used to flying down Comato Street with this, you know, the full size wide lanes now have to be a little more cautious and careful when the trolleys have to pass each other to slow down so the mirrors don't brave. And, uh, and there's been a little adjustment period. But um, in the meantime, Lots of different screens have shown up. How's that for a quick description?
1: Yeah, that's 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 fantastic. And so, uh, Sir so Raphael, how'd they do?
0: They did incredibly well. And what I want to say, I'd like to. I want to tell a little story. But first, I want to I want to commend Victor and his team because we all knew that the curbless idea, the curbless proposal, was maybe a hard sell. And, Victor, your ability and skill as a communicator and how you framed that conversation had everything to do with how the community received it. So, you know, it's oftentimes not just what you say, it's how you say it. So the way the ideas were presented and the context in which they were presented were very important to Getting the community, the, the majority of the community, to embrace that idea because it was a big, a big change, a um, and, and I think for many an unexpected proposal. So I want I want to go back to 2007. It was my second year here at the Downtown Development Authority, and my wife, who's a latent architect, I call her. She's an attorney, but she really wants to be a designer. Handed me a Dwell magazine. Everybody remembers, you know, Dwell Magazine. And there was an article in Dwell Magazine about Parking Day in San Francisco, California, and a group called Rebar. And they were doing these fun public realm experiments, which were completely new at the time in 2007. So I read this story about how parking spaces were being adapted to be people spaces or public spaces. And I had this I had this, you know, wild idea. We're going to do this on Clematis Street in Little Old West Palm Beach, and I convinced the then executive director of the DDA, Melissa Wollist, to free up some funds. And I worked with Design Within Reach on our main corner and Starbucks, and we turned two parking spaces into parks for the day in 2007, September of 07. And we um, actually put down real sod uh, from our landscape contractor, which I will help everybody feel comfortable with, donated later on and used somewhere else. But we got Design Within Reach to put out some beautiful outdoor furniture and umbrellas. People were sitting in the space. I invited our mayor, every single city commissioner to come and join me, uh, as well as other leaders, you know, our Chamber of Commerce. President and others to come and see how the space felt, and every one of them said, "Why can't we just do this all the time?" Fast forward to 2020, thirteen years later, and we we have achieved, in large part, we've achieved that for a for significant pieces of our street, we have we have um, reclaimed space from automobile use. Uh, an appropriate amount of space from automobile use and we have allocated it for people for dining for activities for events and it's it's validated all those ideas that we've all had and that fun little experiment of parking day you know that maybe planted a seed with some locals here that that this was really the way to go a lot of people uh over the years have proposed that some or all of clematis street become a pedestrian only street which I personally don't think we're anywhere near ready for. I don't think we have the density. I don't think we have the commerce that we need for that to be successful. But the beauty of the design that we have here now is that it is the best of both worlds. It can function as a shared street with automobiles and trolleys and delivery trucks and everything else, uh, uh, as well as pedestrians. But when uh, we close the street to motor vehicle traffic, it feels exactly like a pedestrian plaza. So I think we have a win-win situation with the design as it is now.
1: Yeah. And I would uh, add in that because of the way the street feels, uh, the motor vehicle drivers that I witnessed two weeks ago were moving through the space very, very carefully and very consciously. Uh, It was a very uh, comfortable environment for individuals to really stroll across the street at any location. Again, one of the advantages of, of the, the curbless sort of design and multiple locations where even mid block, there were some narrowing areas where, where people were sort of encouraged to stroll across with, without, quote unquote, a crosswalk. The other thing that I noticed was that uh, it was a very comfortable environment. Uh, for locals to be riding bikes, and we witnessed several of the uh, the bike rack locations, which were completely full. Victor, any any final things that you would like to add?
2: You want to hear about a tiny little detail that turned out to make a big difference?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, when we did the first crosswalk, we put bollards, retractable bollards, uh, in the alongside the crosswalk, with the idea being that you could um, you turn a key and pull them up and uh, close the street for a festival day or what have you. And uh, we did that on the first block and we found out they looked exactly like the ones that are fixed and permanent, but um, which we've used a few places to keep people parking in the right place or to protect, you know, the cafe seating from the people going buying vehicles. And those were, of course, fixed, mm-hmm. and everybody was worried because the street's narrower and so on, that some of the bollards at the corners would end up um, getting hit. Of course, they do get scratched, and a couple here and there, they're, they're getting bent to the be place and that kind of thing. Every time a bollard gets uh, tapped by, uh, by an errant vehicle, I think, well, there's one more pedestrian to save because the ballard is coming. And by the way, for those who don't know, here's a detail. Some of those bollards have uh, footers or foundations underneath them, poured concrete, reinforced concrete that are about the size of a small Volkswagen, they're not going anywhere. So don't bother trying to hit them with your car. They you will be stopped. Um That's it. The Retractable dollars Turns out they're only about three or $400 more each. And they are not that many of them. So in terms of a big construction project like this one, it's a very small budget item. And I think, the rough it might have been your suggestion in the beginning, but someone said, why don't we just... Do all the volumes are Then when we have the street closed, we don't need all these other ones because there's no cars to control. And we could also put them on both sides of the on street parking spaces so that we can convert the parking space to a dining space. And so now in the newest phases, the volumes are all retractable. Um, someone from the city can turn a key and pull and extend it up or drop it down. Uh, and we can, in a matter of moments, convert the way a given space is used. So, so one of the findings here is small detail, but was that we can make the street a little more adaptable, being used different ways at different times of the day or different days of the week or month. And I know that sounds really nerdy and tiny and they're like a little engineering detail, but I'm very excited about it because an adaptable street, that means the street we don't have to reconstruct every time we rethink how it should be used. That was a cool thing. And so, you know, running a pilot is valuable. You know, the pilot phase. Um, Whether it's parking day, lighter, cheaper, quicker, that Raphael described, that was a pilot in a way that paved the way to doing something, so to speak, to doing something more ambitious and expensive later on and in permanent bricks and mortar. Uh, A pilot block paved the way for doing the subsequent blocks more um, carefully and uh, making them even cooler. So I I think that's a story there that's transferable for other communities and want their streets to be adaptable and want their construction uh, infrastructure projects to be worked out through pilots and demonstrations, rather than uh, waiting 20 years for them to all be figured out. ahead of time.
1: Excellent, uh, Raphael. Uh, any anything you'd like to add?
0: Well, what I what I'm hopeful for is that you know, Clematis is our main street. It's our most celebrated street. It was named one of the you know America's great streets by the American Planning Association. Victor gave a great great history, summary of of the significance of Clematis. But what I'm hopeful for is that we take this design approach from Clematis Street and start applying it to many other places with, you know, context-sensitive or context-smart use of the design ideas, concepts, and really change our city and change the way people use public spaces, the way they decide to get around you both know, but I'll say for for the sake of the listeners, and like like both of you, I, I choose to commute uh, by bike. I've done that for 30 years now. And, you know, there's been incremental change in that three-decade period, but I've never felt the momentum that I feel now in my city, in my hometown of West Palm. There is a definitely an accelerated rate of change and of, and of uh, adoption of policies that encourage better public spaces, multimodal transportation, non-motorized transportation. And I, I give a lot of credit to the work that's being done right in the core of downtown, and with the centerpiece of that being the Clemato streetscape.
1: Raphael, I always like to end the uh, episodes with getting advice from my guests. And so, do you have any advice uh, for your peers across the country who are looking to change the built environment to encourage a culture of activity in their cities? What advice would you have for them?
0: John, I'll say the most impactful thing that we have done in West Palm Beach is to take our leaders, mayor commissioners, planning directors to other places that have done this and let them see it for themselves and let them talk to um, the people who are reaping the benefits of these types of projects because you can show all the pictures you want, you can have all the webinars you want, unless they really experience it for themselves, it's a hard, it can be ourself. West Palm Beach was very fortunate to have a, an ongoing to this day collaboration with the Knight Foundation. And I was able to encourage city leadership to take a few trips, uh, learning journeys or study tours, if you will call them that. And that was, I think a key piece, um, Knight's investment in getting our leadership educated on the value of great public design was the, was the key. You know, I'm, I've been at it in my city and in South Florida, like Victor, for a long time. And I think when you've been that that diehard advocate and activist, people, it's easy to start tuning you out. Because, oh, yeah, we've heard you before. But if you can bring them, if you can get them to go and see it for themselves, hands on, walk the street, ride a bike, ride a bus, they really start to understand the value and the impact.
1: So, Victor, what advice would you have for Those people out there in the communities that are striving for a more welcoming environment for healthy, active living, what advice do you have for those folks?
2: Well, actually, my answer is a lot like Raphael's. It's about persistence. Uh, Persistence is everything. Uh, That means if you've been pushing hard to get street trees planted so there's shade on your sidewalks so people will go outside and walk again, make your town active that way, don't stop. If you've been replanning your, your city for uh, multimodal transportation or uh, mixed land use just to shorten trips or for uh, more beauty and quality in your public spaces, don't stop. If, you, if you're, uh, you're yourself an avid exer- exerciser, don't stop. If you're just getting started again and moving around and, uh, and burning some calories instead of fossil fuels, don't stop. Uh, Frankie Ruiz, the founder of the uh, Miami Marathon, uh, has a new acronym. Royo which stands for "Run on Your Own," because he's basically saying, you know, we need our our uh, community of active people, not just those who are doing it for fitness, but for those who are doing it for transportation day to day, to keep doing it, just do it with a little more space between each other. Don't sweat on each other. Don't, don't, uh, don't kiss each other. But and don't crowd each other. But to keep doing it, to so run your own. Don't stop.
1: Right. and And I think that one of the things that's so wonderful to see right now is the increased numbers of people out on our streets. There's an increase in sociability without that closeness. And I think that that's something that we can hold on to as we transition into the next phase. Victor, Raphael, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the Active Towns podcast. I so appreciate your friendship and your collaboration and all your support for for Active Towns over the years. Thank you.
0: Love your podcast, John. Thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure to join you. Keep up the great work, John.
1: Thank you all. Talk to you soon. And thank you to all of you for listening to this episode of the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're a returned listener, so wonderful to have you back. One quick favor. If you're enjoying these episodes, please subscribe. And if possible, give a rating on the listening platform of your choice. Until next time. This is John signing off, wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers.